words to speak. Give us ears to listen. We love you. All God's people said, amen. Amen and amen. There is power in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. Can we give the worship team a hand? Thank you for them for every Sunday and for their ministry. So good morning, Firewell family. If I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pina. I have the opportunity to serve as the transitional pastor here at Firewell. We believe that you are in a good place, and we believe that God has you here today for a specific purpose and specific plan, and we are so glad that you are joining with us. And those of you who are joining online, welcome, and you are so loved. So before we get into today's message, number one, I want to thank uh, Dr. Paul Weaver for being here the last two weeks. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, Dr. Weaver as he kind of brought some uh, level of teaching to us as he talked about the uniqueness of Christianity, specifically the uniqueness of Christ, and then the uniqueness of the Christian scriptures. And so it was great having him here for the last two weeks. And exposing you to a level of Bible teaching, and so uh, really grateful to have him and to call him a friend and to have him here the last couple of weeks. But today is a special Sunday. It is the fifth Sunday of the month, and we're trying something new. So every fifth Sunday, so when there's a fifth Sunday of the month, we are making it a family Sunday. So this is an opportunity for children of all ages to worship together with us, and this also gives an opportunity to give our children's ministry workers a chance to actually be in church. Don't you think that's a good thing? Because some of them work multiple weeks. Can we give a hand to our children's ministry? All right. And I want to give a major shout out to Pastor Barb, and I want you to thank her, love her, tell her how much you appreciate all she does for our kids. Thank you, Pastor Barb, for your ministry, and we love you, and we appreciate you so much. Genuinely, I believe that children's ministry is so important. It's not just something we do. And, and, and I've heard the phrase sometimes in children's ministry that, okay, let's have volunteers to help just watch our kids. We don't watch your kids, okay? What the responsibility is of a church to children's ministry is to come alongside parents to help disciple your children. And we genuinely believe that here at Firewheel. Yes, they'll have fun, but they'll also learn the scriptures and they'll go home and go with tools that they can have, that you can have conversations with them, because we believe in helping you to disciple your children. And that's our role as the church. We want to come alongside of you as parents to be able to do that. So we are so grateful for our children's ministry. So there's a cry room available. There's, uh, we set up space inside the great room as well if you want to step out for whatever reason with your kids. But... We do believe that this is a great and sacred time that we can worship together as a family. All right, so this morning we're going to jump back into our sermon series we started a number of weeks ago called The Table, thus the table here. And so in this series we have been looking at the metaphor or the literal table as shown through multiple times in multiple conversations throughout Scripture. And we've been looking at how a table is a way for those inside the church to unite and commune together, but then also is a welcoming place for those who are outside of the church community as well and the role that it plays. So to this point, we have done three messages in this series, and I just want to give you a way of review. So the first week we talked about who is invited to the table, and we saw Jesus' dinner that he had at Matthew's. He called Matthew the tax collector, but then had a dinner with all the tax collectors and sinners, and they were criticizing him for those whom he dined with. And we saw that when Jesus is at dinner, his table is open to anybody who will have him. The second week we looked at and broke down a theology of the Lord's table, which is really important for us because we as a church community celebrate communion every single Sunday. And I hope that after we have articulated that message that maybe communion has even a greater depth and significance to you. Because what we do every Sunday is significant, it's ancient, it is beautiful, it is powerful, it is something unique to the Christian faith, it's something that brings us together. We don't just do communion out of ritual, we do it out of worship. And we do it because we love Jesus. And because we believe that bringing these elements before us every single week causes us to remind us what brings us together. Isn't it beautiful that we get to do that every single week? So communion causes us, as we said, to look backward, to look around us, to look deeper, but also to look forward when we will celebrate it with him again when our faith will become sight. 
Last time we were together a couple weeks ago, we talked about bad table manners, how sometimes we can have bad table manners within the context of community, and we can exclude people from being in true covenant community and engaging in Christian community through our actions and through our words. As a way of review, let me go ahead and give you our one true statement from a couple weeks ago. And the one true statement was simply this, that community is not about me, but it's about we. Community is not about me, but it's about we. So as we get into today's message, I've called today's message a reserved table. And as we look into a very familiar passage of scripture today, you'll see why I use that terminology. But if you ever plan on going to a fancy restaurant, you likely have to call in advance and set up a reservation. Either that or maybe if you're tech savvy like some of us, then you would just go ahead and on your phone, open the app, open table, and you'll go ahead and you'll set up a reservation through open table. So making a reservation guarantees that your seats will be available when you arrive at the restaurant. So you get to the restaurant, the hostess checks you in, asks if you have a reservation, you tell them your name, they have you listed down, and hopefully your table is ready when it's supposed to be in an ideal world. Uh, and then you go ahead and you are able to dine where you have reserved your space to dine. I want to go ahead and put up this picture on the screen. So this picture is of Jen and her uncle Dean. Dean is, was such a blessing to us in our life in the short time that I got to know him. This picture was taken at the Dallas Arboretum at a high tea that was actually there that we did with Dean. And after this picture was taken, he was battling severely cancer and he passed not long after this picture was taken. And Dean was a very special man to us. Dean was a very connected man. So I want to tell you a little bit about our second anniversary in Washington, D.C. Now, Dean had lived in the D.C. area for over 30-plus years. He was the general manager of the Holiday Inn at the Capitol. He had served on numerous different city boards and committees. He was the head of the Hotel Association in D.C. He was a very connected man. Now, two years into marriage, Jen and I didn't necessarily have a lot of money. Okay? As young married couples, some of y'all can attest, y'all don't have a lot of money when you first get married, okay? Especially when you're both going to school at that time. But Dean wanted to make our second anniversary really, really special. He invited us to come down to D.C. He covered all the expenses, basically, and he went all out for our, our second anniversary. He reserved us at a table at his favorite restaurant called D.C. Coast, which I'm sad in now has actually closed its doors. The, the restaurant was fantastic. But not only did he reserve us a seat, so he tells us, hey, I want you to go to this restaurant, because this is the address to the restaurant, and he tells us the time that we're supposed to go. So we stood at his hotel for free, and we're walking in beautiful D.C. at night, and we're walking to the restaurant. Get to the hostess stand, and we do like you do when you have a reservation. We told them our names, and all of a sudden, they're taking us through the restaurant in a very unique and weird way, and I'm like, where are these people taking us? So they take us up to the second floor of the restaurant, and there's this special table in the back that overlooks the kitchen. Well, it's the chef's table. So he made, us a, he made us a reservation, and we get to sit at the chef's table, where the chefs actually, they gave us special menus that said happy anniversary on them. They pulled out all the stops, and the chef and the chef de cuisine are bringing these multiple courses to us, and it's all, all expenses have been paid. Not by us, of course, but Dean covered and fit the bill. It was the best meal I think we've ever had in our lives and one, ex one of the experiences that I will always remember and always cherish. There was no way not only could Jen and I have afforded to eat at the restaurant, but also to get access, the kind of access we got had it not been for Dean through his relationships, we were granted access. We were granted access only because of another individual. And he was, it was because of him that we had this special privilege. Well, ladies and gentlemen, God is preparing a banquet table, his table who is reserved for those who believe in him, and only through our relationship with him and through Jesus are we granted access. This table is open, but yet it's reserved. It's reserved where we come to Jesus through his terms, and he's the one who grants us access. We can't get to the table by ourselves. We can't walk through the proverbial pearly gates on our own merits. But it's only through Jesus are we granted access to the table. So my one true statement for you this morning is very simple. Is that God is inviting you to his table. God is inviting you to his table. 
So our passage this morning is traditionally, it's a famous parable that is often called the parable of the wedding feast or the parable of the feast. And we're going to see how God reserves our spot at his table. So if you have a Bible today and you want to follow along electronically or on the screen or in your analog physical Bible, we're looking at Luke chapter 14 starting at verse 16. So Luke chapter 14 starting at verse 16 and we're going to look through verse 16 to 24. And what we're going to see in this passage is three basic kind of ways or movements through the passage. Now, before we get into the story, let me make a short comment here. What we're about to read is called a parable. Now, a parable is not a true historical event. A parable is a fictional story, short story, that is designed to illustrate a truth or a principle. The truth or the principle is very real, even though it's a fictional story. It's much in the same way as we use sermon illustrations. Sometimes those are real to life. I gave you a real, actual illustration. Or sometimes we may make up a fictitious story to make a point. It's Jesus as the master communicator using a story to be able to communicate something much deeper to his audience who was there, who would be able to understand exactly what he was communicating. So let's set the context a little bit and look starting at verse 15. At verse 15 it says this, When one of those who reclined at the table heard him say these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, interesting to note about what is taking place here. This is something physically, historically taking place, even though Jesus is about to share a fictional story. So what's actually taking place is Jesus is at the home of a Pharisee at his table eating a meal with a Pharisee. And so as he's eating this meal, he is sharing with them, and he shares with them a view of a great banquet, utilizing the fact that he's at a table, so he's going to talk about food, he's going to talk about a banquet, a party, and he's going to use that to make a principle about the coming kingdom. And that's what he's going to do. So the first thing I want you to see in this passage is Jesus opens up this story, invitations go out. Invitations go out. When you throw a party... And you say, okay, you say to your significant other, hey, I want to throw a party. Whatever the event may be, one of the first things that you consider is who's going to be on the guest list. Who are you going to send those invites to? Whether you send in physical invites or whether you send in e-invites. Who are the invitations? Who's going to be invited to this party? And the invitations go out in Jesus' story. Look at verse 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. So this story, like many stories in the gospel, is articulated by multiple gospel writers. Matthew accounts for this story as well, and he fills in a few other different details. In Matthew's account, which is found in Matthew chapter 22, the same parable mentioned here, but Matthew says the man... As described by Luke, Luke says it's the king, and so, and that this party was a wedding feast. Matthew makes that observation in his account, and he makes the observation, he says that a number of servants are sent out as opposed to a servant, singular, here in Luke's account. That's not to mean that somehow their stories contradict or whatever, but it gives us a different flavor to the story. The implication here being is that the invitations go out and the invites, the guests had accepted that invitation. But it was customary in the ancient world to not only have one invitation, but a second invitation. So he sent out the invitation first to essentially make a reservation. That's kind of like RSVPing to an event. Y'all ever get an invitation where you RSVP'd first, right? So you RSVP to this event. I am going to a wedding in a couple weeks for my cousin who's getting married, and initially they sent out an RSVP. So I RSVP'd to this event. So you do that. It's kind of like making your reservation. And the second invitation then was the servant going out to announce that the banquet was actually about to begin, that it was ready, and that things, the, all the preparations had been made, they can now come. So when the meal was ready, the master would send out a servant to tell the invitees to come. It was common in such upper-class meals to send out servant or servants to call the guests to come to the table. Refusing an invitation at this latest stage, once you've essentially RSVP'd, shows the absence of courtesy. It's like being a no-show. You just no-showed after you said that you were going to be there. In our modern context, if you RSVP, for example, to a wedding, 
and there's going to be a meal and you are invited to the meal, well then you are included in the account that whoever's paying for that meal's already paid, they pay for your meal, and then all of a sudden you just no-show. Preparations have been made, the price has already been paid, and then you no-show to the event. The question here, which is not necessarily alluded to us, is who is the host of the party? Who's the master? Who's the king? And who is the slave or the servant who's in this, uh, in this message? I think that personally that it's God the Father who's pictured as the master with Jesus being his servant sending out the invitation. But then jump down into verse 18. Now we're going to see excuses start to come in. So the invites go out initially. And now all of a sudden those who have already responded affirmatively that they're coming, now the excuses start to come in when the servant goes out actually proclaiming the banquet time has come. So verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. That's an interesting one. I'm not going to elaborate on that. Okay? Just playing. All right, y'all can loosen up. It's okay. Right? But it's important, to get, again, to remember the first invitation's already gone out. What we're assuming in this reading, and what I think that the story's actually alluding to, is the fact that the first invitation has not already gone out, but it's been received. So now, here they come, it's time, it's game time, it's party time. And all of a sudden, now the excuses start to roll in. But let's look at these excuses for a moment. The first person buys a piece of property. So think about this for a moment. Who would buy a piece of property without first looking at it and assessing its value? Any of y'all going to make a home purchase without ever looking at the home? Any of y'all going to ever buy a piece of property and not assess it, or at least have somebody else assess it and give you some criteria for it and tell you what, what kind of observations that they made? No, you're gonna, if you're going to buy and invest in a piece of property, then you're going to go ahead and you're going to make the time to actually go look at it. But here is this person making this excuse that, well, i got to go ahead and look at this property now, even though I've already bought it. So this person makes a priority judgment determining that to do that was more important than coming to the party that he was already invited to. The second person buys livestock and wants to give them a test run. This is like the first person. Why would you buy livestock if you're trading in livestock, if you're a rancher or whatever the case may be? You ever going to buy livestock and actually not look at the livestock? So he buys livestock and then says, let me go ahead and expect them. Let me look at the, because I doubt, you know, I want to I know if these animals are up to snuff. But you could always try them out at a later time. Person number three says, because I'm married, I can't go. So just because you're married doesn't mean you can't attend a social function. And I'm sure, especially if you're getting invited to a feast or a wedding or whatever, your wife or your spouse better be your plus one, right? So you going together anyway to this event, and this person just says, I just got married. The original language here suggests that it was a recent marriage, but that's not a valid reason for not attending, especially if you already said you would. As a matter of fact, the last person, I got to give him credit, doesn't even make an excuse in Jesus' story. He just said, I just got married, I'm not going. He doesn't try to make an excuse about it. He doesn't say, my wife doesn't want to go. She ain't got nothing to wear. She haven't done her hair yet. Whatever. He ain't making no excuse. Or he's saying, I haven't gone to the store. I ain't got a tuxedo. I ain't got a suit. He ain't making no excuse. He just said, I got married. I ain't going. All right? So he's not even trying to volley an excuse. The theme of these excuses centers on finances and family, which stand in the way of God's invitation. Let me go ahead and make a principle here and then bring this application down to our level. There is no valid excuse to forfeit one's soul. There is no valid excuse to forfeit one's soul. Remember what Jesus is talking about here. If you read this story, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And I think he has in mind a future reality, a kingdom that is to come. The kingdom, because this is not... 
many days removed from when he would actually be sacrificed. And so I think he has in mind this kingdom that he's inaugurating through his death, burial, and resurrection that is an already and not yet kingdom, but this future kingdom as the king of kings, this kingdom that all of his, all of his followers are going to follow into this kingdom that he is building. So to not attend this banquet is akin to missing out on being part of Jesus' kingdom. It reminds me of the passage in Luke chapter 9, verse 25, when it says this, For what is, it, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? That last part, forfeits himself, some other translations which I like better says forfeits his soul. So what excuse can possibly be made to ever say and reject Jesus' invitation that is an eternal invitation that we can ever possibly levy that would be good enough to forfeit our own soul? We can make many different excuses to reject Jesus' invitation. How many of you here today, I hope that many of you, I know many of you, have placed your faith and trust in Jesus? But how many of you would raise your hand and say that the first time that you ever heard the gospel, you didn't respond the first time? It took you more than once. How many of y'all would raise your hand to that, right? So that's great. For me, it wasn't the first time either. But between time one and I don't know, maybe time 50, whatever it was that I finally came to faith in Jesus, the invitation kept on going out. The invitation kept on going out. The invitation kept on going out. And there was many times when I was making excuses as to why, even though I felt God was convicting me of my sin, I was making excuses as to why I would not come to Jesus. And many of us have heard and made some of those same excuses. I hear so many people nowadays say, well, you know, I think I might believe in that Jesus stuff, but I got some stuff to work out in my life. I got to get my life together. I don't feel like it's time for me to come to Jesus. When Scripture clearly says today is the day of salvation, tomorrow's not promised to you. So for some people, they may only get the invitation one time. For others, by God's grace, He's extended to you the invitation over and over and over and over and over again. But the reality is, is what could we possibly make as an excuse that would ever suffice to say that it is worth forfeiting our soul? That's what Jesus is alluding to. He's just giving you three examples. But the examples of these people not coming to the banquet is that they are not wanting to be part of the kingdom. And why would we ever miss out and have misplaced priorities that are really worth missing out on God's heavenly kingdom? There will come a time, ladies and gentlemen, please hear me. This is sobering, but it's true, and I need to say it. There will come a time when the invitation will no longer be given out. God is graciously, I believe, every single day as this earth is still moving, humans are living and breathing, every day he is making his gospel known. He is showing the truth and reality of who he is. But there will come a day when the invitation will stop going out. There will come a day when he says enough is enough. There will come a day when human history as we know it will culminate and the kingdom will finally come. We never know when that time will be. And I'm not saying that to try to scare you into the kingdom because that's a spiritual and supernatural work of the spirit. But I am trying to tell you a reality. Just like when you RSVP to an event, sometimes you have a, you have a, you have a cutoff date. There is a cutoff date that only the Father knows when there will be an invitation that will not go out anymore. I don't know when that time is. And every person who tries to articulate a time, I can tell you right now, they're a false prophet. I'm serious about that. Not even the son knows the time that the father has ordained. And many have tried to say, on this day, through these events, Jesus is coming back. Immediately when that, those words come out their mouth, you can say false prophet. Because that's not true. We don't know, but we're to be ready. We're to be ready. So new invitations are sent out. Look at verse 21. So after the initial invitations were accepted and then rejected by this group of people, obviously the master gets mad and he says, you know what, the party's still going to go on. 
I'm going to invite some other folks then who are willing to accept and receive the invitation and actually come. So new invitations are sent out. Look at verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master that these people rejected and decided to not come and made these excuses. Then the master of the house became angry. Jump down to verse 24. He says, for I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. What a sobering reality, right? Especially when you connect this to the future truth that Jesus is talking about a future kingdom. He's saying that these people who this invitation has been extended to will not even taste of this banquet. Sobering reality. But understandable that the master is actually upset that his invitation was rebuffed. So instead of canceling the party, so to speak, he decides, you know what? I won't invite them again, but I'm going to invite some other folks. And we're going to fill this party. And we'll still have this banquet, and the banquet will go on. Look at the end of verse 21. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Verse 22. And the servant says, sir, what you have commanded has been done, and yet there is still room. And the master said to the servant, well, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. So don't postpone the party. What happens is the master just gets a new audience. And he sends out to that audience. And they come. And they keep coming. And they keep coming. And the servant says, there's still more room. And he says, go tell more people. They keep coming. They keep coming. Still there's more room. Keep telling them. Keep coming. Keep coming. There's still more room. The table, this banquet, is a present and future table because the meal has already been prepared, the provision has already been made, the invitation's already been sent out, the price has already been paid, but it also has in mind a time when a future kingdom, when God's kingdom will be fully realized at the second coming of Jesus. Do you realize that as a believer, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then today you are now a kingdom citizen. You are part of the kingdom of God. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You are now part of a kingdom. Even though that kingdom is not fully realized yet, and you receive and you walk in some of the benefits of what it means to be part of that kingdom, that kingdom will be fully realized at the second coming of Jesus. But his kingdom has already been inaugurated. The pronouncement has already come. The king has already come one time, but the king will return. And when the king will return, his kingdom will come in full, and we will experience the fullness of what it means to truly be those who are subjects in that kingdom. But that's what we experience even now, just the taste of it. Dr. Daryl Bach, the New Testament scholar uh, at DTS, I love what he says in his great commentary on the book of Luke. He says this about this passage. He says, the time of blessing is now and continues on into the future. The already and not yet merge in the decision about Jesus. One can accept or reject the invitation, but in either case, the party is coming and it will not be rescheduled or postponed. Hallelujah. It will not be rescheduled and it will not be postponed. But here's the thing, is that I love this idea of the merging in the decision to follow Jesus. Is we understand and it says we already live this kind of resurrected life. We already live and experience and taste and see that the Lord is good. We already live this kind of reality of our salvation experience as we've been saved from the penalty of sin. And now we're being saved from the power of sin as Christ's likeness is being formed into us. But there's already a future reality as well that will come, that comes together in this decision to follow Jesus that what we are experiencing now is kind of like a down payment or deposit of what it may be, of when it future, what it comes, and it's full of what it means to truly be a son or daughter of the Most High God. But the party's still coming. It will not be rescheduled, and it will not be postponed. The first group mentioned in this second invitation are the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Those who are the people of the lowest class of citizens within Jewish culture. And at the time, they were not even allowed to participate in Jewish worship in the temple. Remember where Jesus, remember his audience. Remember whose house he's at. He's at the house of a religious leader, a Pharisee. And he's basically saying that I am opening up the floodgates to the people that you openly reject. And as you openly reject them, I am receiving them. And as I am openly receiving them, they are coming. They are not only hearing the invitation, but they are coming. And there's 
still more room, and many of them are going to keep on coming. I'm going to keep on extending the invitation, and more of them are going to keep on coming. The invitation is open. It's like Jesus is telling the Jewish religious leader that their practice of excluding types of people in worship is wrong. And that God's kingdom has been extended to others whom they would reject as well. According to verse 22, after doing this, the implication is that these people responded to the invitation and there's still plenty of room and more continue to come. This shows the generous nature of God seeking people for salvation and making his invitation known. One of the beautiful things when you think about the story of the Bible is that the story is a story of restoration. It's a story of redemption. It's a love story. It's a story of how a relationship between God and humanity can be broken, and then God intervenes into that situation to make it possible for them to have relationship again, and how he is the jilted lover who continues to pursue his bride. He continues to pursue her. He continues to woo her. He continues to pursue people. The generous nature of him making this invitation over and over again. The second group of people mentioned in 23, those along the highways and the hedges, on the outside of the city, that's everybody else. Basically, anyone willing to respond to the invitation is welcome at the Lord's table. Anybody who's willing to respond. Those that when they hear the call will come. Those that when they hear the call will respond positively, will respond in faith. They are all welcome to the table. They are welcome to dine into this banquet in this future kingdom. It's not just Jew. It's Gentile alike receiving the blessing of God through salvation. Here's a principle for you. and something I think we should rejoice over. God's kingdom does not have a maximum capacity. God's kingdom doesn't have a maximum capacity. How many of y'all genuinely believe today that God is still in the saving business? How many of y'all believe that Jesus is still transforming people's lives? That the gospel is still an open invitation to all those who would receive and would believe by faith in this one that we call Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man who came to die for our sins, was buried and rose again. That that message, that that reality is still saving people today. Every single day, the cry goes out. Every single day, the message goes forward. Because God's kingdom doesn't have a maximum occupancy, a maximum capacity. My very first job when I moved to Dallas, I moved to Dallas for my first trek, as I like to call it, back in 2001. And when I was attending a very small Bible school, my first job was working at a hotel. I worked at a hotel, a Fairfield Inn hotel off of Market Center Boulevard. And right next to where uh, the World Trade Center is over there in, in uh, Market Hall. And so often there were conventions and various other different things that would come into town. And when I would get there for second shift, the first thing I would always do is I would look at our occupancy rate. And then I would call other hotels in the area and they would do the same thing and ask what their occupancy rate was. And we did this because sometimes if we were full, we can then send people to other hotels in the neighboring area because there was a number of hotels right there. And that way we kind of knew what their price was and we had an understanding of where we were at engaging our occupancy level. But there were times when people would come to the hotel and say, hey, can I get a room? And I'd have to look and I'd have to say, I'm sorry, but we're full. We're at maximum occupancy. I can't grant you a room. I can't grant your request because there's no space for you to be able to reside. I don't have accommodations, a way to accommodate you because we are at max capacity. But ladies and gentlemen, God's kingdom isn't like that. God's kingdom isn't where he just says, okay, we've reached maximum occupancy and now everybody else is shut off. But every single day the invitation goes out and the invitation is going out to you today. If you have not responded in faith and believed in Jesus Christ, then the invitation goes out to you today as well. I can't make you accept it. You can make every level of excuse, just like the three people that represent numerous different types of people made. You can make whatever excuse you want, but you can't say that you were not invited. Because you're being invited today, and the Lord is calling you to his banquet table. The servant is to compel them. The idea is the, this idea of persistence or urging. 
It's the heartbeat of God because people who do not know him, he has a heartbeat. He desires for them to know him. So he persists and continues to extend his gracious gift and invitation. Those who believe in Jesus are now servants according to Paul. And we are ones who now are the ones compelling people and pleading with people as well. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. That we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. The whole point of this parable is that the invitation to the banquet comes only through Jesus and through our relationship with him we are granted access to this reserved table. But now we can extend the invitation to others as well. Because as we are now part of this table, we are now servants. We now play the role of servant. And we go out to the highways and byways and we tell people, come. The table is open. Come. We tell them about this great Lord. We say, come. But all we can do is extend an invitation. We can't force anybody to come. In some ways, that's beautiful. And in some ways, that's also very painful. Because we want people to respond. But please hear me when I say this. Salvation is never about you. You didn't provide the sacrifice. You didn't provide the faith. You didn't provide any of the ingredients necessary except your sin. It's never about you. It's never about me. You cannot save people. You should say that to yourself. You should literally look in the mirror and say to yourself, when you are trying to bend over backwards to people, making every argument, giving them whatever you want through the scriptures, we should do those things, but you have to remember, you and I cannot save people. That's God's job. Our job is to invite them. That's our job. Our job is to play the role of the servant and to invite them to say, to come, be reconciled to this great God. My question for you today is, will you accept his invitation? Let's summarize this for you. Our one true statement was simply this, that God is inviting you to his table. We saw in this parable how the invitations went out. The master sent out these invitations, and they were responded to, and it was like people had RSVP'd. All of a sudden, all the excuses start to come in. But remember, there is no valid excuse to forfeit your soul. Do not make excuses that prevent you from accepting Jesus' invitation to the banquet. But we, saw, we see that new invites are sent out. God's kingdom doesn't have this maximum capacity. Yet this message and this invitation goes out to everybody. It doesn't matter. Those who will believe and receive the invitation and will respond positively to the invitation will be welcome to partake in this glorious banquet in a kingdom that is now but not fully yet. But will be fully realized. So we can come to the table through the invitation of the master by way of the servant. The servant grants us access. And it's through Jesus we are granted access to the table. So there's really only two ways to respond to this message, and we're going to close today. Is number one is if you're a person who's placed your faith in Jesus, then your job and mine is to share the invitation. We tell people about this great opportunity that we've been given, we tell people about the beauty of this thing that we call the gospel. We tell them about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. He empowers us through the Spirit to share this gospel. So my encouragement to you is that sometimes if you genuinely believe that salvation is not about you and it's a spiritual thing that God does, then we need to include him in the process. I forget this myself sometimes. What I would encourage you to do is I would ask for you to pray that God would open up opportunities for you to have strategic conversations. And I'm not talking about forced conversations. I'm not talking about that immediately you invite somebody over to your house and the first words that come out of your mouth, do you know Jesus? I'm not talking about a forced conversation. I'm talking about for strategic divine conversations. That just in the middle of getting to know somebody, somebody shares their heart with you and opens up an opportunity for you to share your testimony or for you to be able to share your faith that you would just ask and pray that God would give you the opportunity to do so. And then secondly, if you're under the sound of my voice today, the invitation is being extended to you. Will you accept the invitation? 
God is inviting you to his table. He has made provision for you. The price has already been paid. The invitation is now being sent out. The question is, will you respond? Will you respond by faith, putting your trust in Jesus, that he's the only one who can pay the price for your sins, that he died upon a cross, that he was buried and he rose again, and that he is preparing this banquet feast for us and that we can taste now but will be fully realized when he returns and he will return. And will he, when he returns, will you be one of the ones whose name will be at the table? That's ultimately up to you. And I trust God to do his work in that way. Let's pray. So Lord, we do love you. And we thank you that many of us, under the sound of my voice, have responded to the call as you invite us to your table. Thank you that you do not, you are consistently compelling and consistently extending out that invitation. But Lord, we do know that there will be a day genuinely when the invitation will no longer go out. There will be a day when you will say, and it's in your sovereign time when we don't know, when you will say enough is enough. And Lord, I pray that that if it's your will and that, that if there are people here today that have not responded and not received that invitation today, that your Holy Spirit, that you would draw them. I thank you that we are partakers and we could taste of a little bit of what is fully to come. The already not yet tension that we live within. And when we respond to Jesus, we see the reality of that tension. But I thank you that so many of my brothers and sisters here today have responded positively to your invitation. In doing so, they have tasted and seen. They have a foretaste, a promise of what ultimately is to come. But Lord, how glorious it's going to be when we will be with you in your fully inaugurated kingdom, when heaven will literally come to earth, that there'll be new earths and new heaven. We will rule and we will reign with you and we will truly be where sin will be no more. The reality of that day is a hopeful thing for us. And for some, it's a dreadful reality as well. But Lord, we do love you and we trust you. We trust you in your saving work and we thank you that you are saving people every single day as the invitation and the call goes out. Help us to be the ones to champion that call as well that your name may be known. It's, most in the it's in the most precious and holy name of Jesus we could pray by the power of the Spirit. And the people of God said, amen. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. We're going to take an opportunity to pray and worship like we do every Sunday. If there's something that we can pray with you about, I pray that you would give us the opportunity to be able to do that as an expression of love and of grace. But you can stand, you can sit where you are right now as we worship, and I would encourage you just to engage. This is not a spectator moment, but it's a time for us to respond to what God is doing in our hearts and just to be able to give our hearts in worship and adoration to him. So let's worship together.
offering just thank the Lord as we worship him we thank you Lord for breath and life for hope thank you Jesus y'all may be seated we're going to take an opportunity to worship the Lord through giving uh, every Sunday we have an opportunity to be able to do this I'd love to say that it doesn't cost money to do ministry on earth but that's the reality if we want to have buildings and do ministries and those kind of things but God is good as God provides for us on an individual level and on a corporate level uh, we continue to trust him and we thank you for your gracious giving uh, that it can allow us to do the work that God has called us to do. So thank you, church. 
So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. And if it's your first time here at Firewheel, we'd love to be able to say hi to you uh, as you exit the auditorium today at our Connection Center. One of our guest services attendants would love to give you a special gift for worshiping with us. No strings attached. If you'd like to share some information with us, you can either scan the QR code or fill out a connection card at the Connection Center just to see how uh, I could be able to reach out to you and see how we can serve you as a church and come alongside of you wherever you may be at in your spiritual journey and serve you and your family. So let me go in and pray over the offering, and we'll go in and uh, receive that. So, Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to give as an act of worship. For, Lord, you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever, and you are a provider of all things. So bless the gift and the giver and cause it to multiply. The Lord, we may continue to be faithful stewards of all that you've entrusted us with, individually and corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, and welcome to Firewheel Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewheel. Following Jesus Changes the Game is the theme of this year's VBS, Twists and Turns, on July 24th through 28th, from 6 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Want to help out? There are so many ways, from donating supplies or volunteering to make yummy snacks, to building decorations, to hanging out with the kids during the week of VBS. This is a great way to show Firewheel kids and their friends that they are loved. Check out the Twists and Turns display in the lobby for more info or contact Barbara at firewheelfellowship.com. Can't wait to hear from you. Do you have the spring cleaning bug? So do we. Cleanup day is May 6th. It is time to replace some of the shrubs on the north side of the church along Toller Road. Each plant is $58. If you would like to donate to the project, you can go online to firewheelbiblefellowship.com. Select Giving in the menu and choose Landscaping in the drop-down menu. Or write a check to Firewheel Bible Fellowship with Landscaping in the memo. Come on out for some lovely spring golf at Waterview Golf Club, located in Rowlett, Texas. Prizes, hole contests, and raffle items are all up for grabs. Lunch will be provided. All proceeds will help support sending kids to summer camp. The cost will be $90 per person. We hope to see you out there. For more info on these or any of the events going on around Firewheel, check us out at firewheelfellowship.com slash events, or you'll find us on social media. All right, guys, if we get you to stand, we'll go in and pray our benediction over you. And next week, we'll bring our table series to a close, and then we're going to start exploring the book of James. We're going to walk through the book of James together, so I'm excited about that. So may the Lord go before you to light your path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. And may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant to you character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. Love you all so much. We will see you all next week. You are dismissed. Mm.